0: Well, Happy Easter. So glad that you're here. So glad that you've joined us and we could be here together today. Um, I think when we gather to celebrate uh, the resurrection, we celebrate Easter and we come into this place and we start to talk about these things. uh, This is the greatest news there is in all the world. And nothing I can say, nothing that I can point you to or be excited about will even begin to scratch the surface of the fullness of what God's done for us in Jesus. There's no there's no way to overstate it. There's no way to say it too much or too big. Oftentimes, I think we get to the resurrection and and we start to think about these things. And hopefully this week you've, you've stopped and you've paused and you've thought about the goodness of God and what he's done for us in Jesus. But even when we stop and think about it, so often we're just barely seeing the fullness. We're not even close to seeing all the ways in which God has saved us and what he's done for us and what it means for us. And so, so often we come to Easter and we look to the future and we talk about how there's life after death because of what Jesus has done. And to that, we say yes and amen. That's absolutely true. And we should be so excited that death is not the end and that Jesus has defeated death. And we have this glorious future and hope before us. And that is absolutely certain and true. But what I want us to think about today is what about today right now? What about when you wake up tomorrow and the things that you're dealing with and the things that are going on in your life? What about the difficulty of your own internal life? Do You know what I mean when I say that? Your own struggles and fears and insecurities and the things that you're dealing with, your own internal accusations, the things that you kind of spinning over in your mind the things that you sometimes go to bed and you lay awake thinking about you know what i'm talking about do you have those thoughts in your mind and in your life maybe you're re- replaying an interaction in your mind and you said something poorly it was with a co-worker or your spouse and then you're defending yourself and you're thinking it through you ever do that you know what i'm talking about when i say that hopefully i'm not the only one But you go through those things and they turn over in your mind or you you wake up and maybe depending on where you are in your life and what that looks like, that may look different. Sometimes you may wake up and be worried about how you look or how people will perceive you or what they might think of you. You're painfully aware of your own inadequacies and sometimes that can be overwhelming and it can be a struggle and those thoughts keep coming to mind and they're there in front of you. Or maybe it's something in your life that you've really blown it and you've known you've blown it. And you replay it and you wish you could change it. And you live in past regrets and you struggle with those things. Or maybe, like me, I'll use myself here. You get to Thursday and you go, it's Easter. Easter week. This is the best week and so excited. And you look at your sermon and you go, I don't know that this is very good. I want this to be the best sermon ever and I'm not sure that I can do it. I'm not sure that it will be the best sermon ever. And I wish I was smarter and I wish I could tell it better. And those thoughts come flooding into your mind and you start to feel those things. And so if research tells us, right, we all deal with this. Every single one of us at different times in our life. We're dealing with these thoughts and these feelings and these things that come crashing in. Oftentimes we turn to comparisons. We start to compare ourselves with other people. Oftentimes we look to fill these insecurities in relationships, right? Finding the one. If I just find the one, then everything will be okay. Oftentimes we look to vocational success, right? We try to fill it in that way, or maybe that even makes it worse because we're not where we thought we should be and what we're doing. And all these things swirl around in our minds. And so the question maybe you're wondering is, well, what does that have to do with Easter. Right? We're celebrating the resurrection and who Jesus is and what he's done. And it's this wonderful joy that comes with that. So what does all that have to do with Easter? And I would say to you, it has everything to do with Easter. The root of all your anxiety and all your insecurity and the internal accusations and the comparisons and all of it has been dealt with with the death and resurrection of Jesus. Everyone. And I want us to think about the glorious good news of what Jesus has done for us and how he has dealt with the root of all those things today, every one of them. And I want us to look today together at the passage that we just read from Colossians chapter 1 and 2. Colossians is a letter that the Apostle Paul writes to the early church in Colossae. It's it's a church that he helped plant and, and he's writing back and he's encouraging them. He's writing around 60, early 60s AD and he's writing from prison in Rome. And so we're about 30 years after the resurrection. The good news of what Jesus has done has begun to spread over the entire world. As his disciples go out and they make disciples and they follow what Jesus has told them and they proclaim the good news of who God is. But then there's these issues that are coming up and these struggles. And what Paul writes here to the early church is powerful in what he's telling us about Jesus' death and resurrection and how it pertains to your life. How it pertains to your life when you wake up tomorrow. When you're struggling with all those things and all the things that are difficult about life come flooding in. What he tells us here helps us to see the reality of who we are in Jesus and what that means for us. And so the way I want us to look at this text together is first just simply I want us to consider the root Of the problem of our insecurities and our comparisons and our struggles and our fears and our anxieties. What is the root down at the bottom of all of those things? And then, secondly, I want us to consider how Jesus has dealt with it. And then, lastly, how do we live in light of what he's done? So, let's just start with the root of the problem. I'm going to ask a question. I want you to think about this for just a second. Would anyone here raise their hand and say that I have figured this life out perfectly. All those things that you just said about anxieties and struggles and internal and turning it over. I don't have any of that. None. I've got it all together. My life is perfect. No worries. No mistakes. All the people around me, I don't have to worry about them either. It's all just going along great. Would anybody say, yes, that is me. I got it. I didn't think so. I've asked this question before. I've never heard anyone go, yes, nailed it, got it figured out, got it whipped. I know all of it. And so I think it'd be safe to say, would it not? When we think about that, when we look around the room, it'd be fair to say that we're all in progress. We've all got problems. We all have issues. We all have inadequacies. We all have things where we feel like we've blown it. We don't have it all together. But there's a strange thing in our culture. That despite that being universally true, what our culture often says is the answer to your anxiety, the answer to your insecurity, is to look inward. I I was reading this week about dealing with insecurities, dealing with all the things that are going on. The things that you turn over in your mind, and I was surprised, not surprised, I wasn't surprised. But it was a reminder of the way our world thinks in a lot of ways. Psychology today, talking about, well, what do you do? What do you do when you're insecure? Talk to your inner critic and remind yourself how good you are. Look inward. Pump yourself up. You can do it, and it's okay. Combat perfectionism with effort over performance. Prioritize effort over performance. It is learn to love yourself when you fail. And so what the world says is it's just a matter of perception. You just need to see that you can love yourself and cut yourself some slack and you can do it. And keep working and keep doing and keep trying. And that's the answer. Look inward. I started to think about that. That's kind of strange, isn't it? Like we all know we're not perfect. We all know we don't have it together. We all have all these things that we're wrestling with. But the answer is to look inward. It reminds me of being in a class in college. Undergraduate, I was an okay student. I graduated with about a 3.0, somewhere in that range. So not great, not bad. But there were two classes that I was really, really lucky to have passed. One was physics. I had no idea what was going on in that class. Worst class, actually, best class ever, I met my wife in physics. And so as bad as the class was, it turned out okay. But the class itself was terrible. I had no idea what was going on. And it was by the grace of God and the kindness of a Russian teaching assistant that I passed that class. And I remember this. I remember vividly going and taking a quiz and going up to the TA to turn it in and I handed it to him. And he looked at it and he kind of smiled and he said, you may want to work on that a little longer. (laughs) And he handed it back to me. And I looked at it and I looked at him. And I said, it doesn't really matter how much longer I stare at this. This is what I got. (laughs) And I gave it back to him. And I had no clue. And and I thought about that story this week because that's kind of what we're saying in our culture. Just look inward. Just go back and try some more. I'm not going to suddenly learn figure this out by sitting there by myself. But that's often what our culture says. In the midst of our sinfulness and our struggles and our insecurity, the answer is look inward. I don't think it is. In fact, I think the Bible says the exact opposite. We don't just need the power of positive thinking. We don't just need better self-esteem. We don't just need to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. That's like me sitting there staring at that physics exam. It's not going to get any better. I'm not suddenly going to know. So what does the Bible tell us? What does Paul say here? As he applies the resurrection to us in Colossians chapter 1 in chapter 2 and so look at it with me if you would i'm going to pick up in chapter 1 in verse 19 verse 15 through 20 most scholars believe that this is a hymn or a creed that the early church sang together about who jesus is and the fullness of his deity that was one of the problems in the early church they were struggling with is jesus fully god and fully man and paul's writing to say yes absolutely And so it's right in the middle of this. Look at what it says in verse 19. For in him, talking about Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. That is, Jesus is fully God. He's fully man and he's fully God. Verse 20, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him if you indeed continue in the faith stable and steadfast not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you have heard but then look at chapter 2 and what he says in verses 13 14 and 15 he says and you are dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of death that stood against us and its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities and he put them to open shame by triumphing over them. And so I want us just to think about what it is he's saying there. What he says here that gets to the root of why we struggle why we're wrestling with trying to prove ourselves, why we have that inner defense attorney that's trying to plead our case. And he tells you right here, notice in verse 21, that you were once alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds. Or in verse 13, in verse 14 of chapter 2, you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. What is he talking about? Alienated from who? And what is the debt that stands against us? And the answer is, if you follow through his logic and what he's saying here, we're alienated from God because of our sin. The record of debt that stands against us is our sin before a holy, perfect, righteous God. We've been alienated from him. We've been alienated from one another as well because of our sin. But more importantly, we've been alienated from God. And I want you to think about that for just a second with me. God has created you to be in a loving relationship, perfectly harmonious, loving relationship with him. I love the way Paul Tripp says it. He says, God carefully constructed you to love. I love the way he says that, carefully constructed you. He carefully constructed you to love, to live in a deeply loving, heart controlling, motivation producing, worship initiating, joy stimulating relationship with him. Your capacity to love was created for him. You are made by him and through him and for him. But the tragedy is that we've turned our back on his love. That's what sin is. Ignoring God and the world he created, rebelling against him. And in so doing, we've alienated ourselves from him. We've misordered things in the way that they were made. And when we do that, it in turn leads to fear and insecurity and anxiety and ultimately death, both spiritual and then physical to follow. And the Bible tells us this over and over. Now, I want you to think about this. When it says alienated from God, that alienation is not that God doesn't care or he doesn't pursue. He does. It's why Jesus came. So when we've been walking through the Gospels and we see Jesus pointing to his death over and over again, all the other ways they wanted to get him, fit him into the mold of what they thought the Messiah would be. And he keeps turning all those things down and he's staring right at the cross Always. Because of God's great pursuit as He's seeking to bring us back into that relationship. It's not that He doesn't care, but it's that we no longer have the unity, the fullness of that relationship that you were carefully constructed for. And as that happens, sin separates us from a holy God. We are alienated from Him. And we have this debt that stands over us that we cannot pay. So what he says in chapter two, you have this record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. I want you to think about that for just a second with its legal demands. The way he talks, God is perfectly holy in every way. That means he is perfectly righteous, that there is nothing evil. There's no sin. There is no bad. There's nothing in him that is that way. And so when we start to believe that we can somehow look inwardly and pull ourselves together and make ourselves acceptable before a holy God, it is not possible. That's why he says there's a record of debt that stands against you, that you're alienated, that you're hostile in mind, that you're doing evil deeds. All these things that he talks about who we are, that's what happens in our sin. Our foolish hearts become darkened, as it says in Romans chapter 1. And we worship the creation over the creator. And you know what that leads to? Comparisons and insecurity. Seeking to validate yourself by what you do or your job or all those things that you wake up thinking about and wrestling with. Because you were never created to be the center of the world. You were never created for it to be all about you you were carefully constructed by your Creator to know and to love Him. And the issue here is this. When we start to think about what is the root of the problem, what is the bottom of the problem? And sadly, what we do is we compound the problem by looking inwardly. By thinking we can do it. But that's not what it says here. That's not the good news of the gospel that's not how jesus deals with all of these things so how does he deal with it how does easter answer this problem how does what we celebrate in this week answer the problems of all of these things look again at verses 19 and 20 for in him all the fullness of god was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself All things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And so Jesus comes. In the flesh, fully God and fully man, and he comes with the purpose to reconcile us to him. It's why when we've been going through the Gospels, we've been spending over a year going through the Gospels. And from the very beginning, Jesus is always looking ahead to the cross. Right. John two, my hour has not yet come. That hour that he's talking about is laying his life down. It's all the way through. Because his mission has always come, always been to come and to reconcile us to him. Our deepest insecurities that we know that we don't measure up, that we know that we can never approach a holy God based on our performance, but Jesus comes to deal with that for us. Verse 21, he says, And you were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. But he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. For verse 13, you were dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, and he made you alive together with him having forgiven all your trespasses by canceling the record of death that stood against us and its legal demands, and then he set aside, set it aside, nailing it to the cross. So how does that work? Jesus comes and lives the life that we haven't lived. Right? We're carefully constructed for God's love. To love him and to love others, Jesus comes and does that perfectly. He shows us exactly what that looks like. He does every bit of it the way God has designed us to live. Jesus does it perfectly. And then he chooses to take our mess for us. He chooses to take our sin. He chooses to take the record of debt that stands against you before a holy, righteous God. That's what we gathered together on Friday to think about. That is Jesus goes to the cross. And what happens is Jesus goes to the cross. He who knew no sin become sin for us so that we can become the righteousness of God in him. That's second Corinthians chapter five. That's kind of our, our, our banner over what we said on Friday. He goes to the cross and he takes all your mistakes and all your mess and all your rebellion and all your sin and all those things that separate you from the one who carefully constructed you to know his love, to have this perfect unity with him. And he bears it on himself and, And he takes it in and then he bears the wrath of God for us. That's why Paul can say the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. He set it aside and nailed it to the cross. He bore it for you. But I want you to think about how this works. So often people ask that question. Jesus died for my sins. go, Great. What does that mean? Not exactly sure. Why did he have to die? Because God is perfect in every way. Sin has to be dealt with or God is no longer God. He's no longer just. But the only way that our sin can be dealt with, the only way that God can pour out his perfect, righteous anger, his wrath, is by Jesus doing it for us. Fully God and fully man. And He takes our place and He bears it for us and He brings it to nothing and He nails it to the cross. It's the good news of the gospel that all the mess that you have that Jesus says, I will take it for you. You put your faith and your trust in me and I take all of it. You transfer your trust from in. Don't look inwardly. Look to Jesus and what He's done for you and He takes all of it. The glorious good news that he deals with all those things that keep you awake. All those things that you know that aren't perfect. All those things that you wrestle with. Jesus says, I'll take all of it. Every bit of it. But here's the amazing thing. That's not all. Oftentimes that's where we stop. Right? We talk about Christianity and what it means to be a believer. And people say, well, Jesus died for my sins. Yes and amen. Thank God that he has. That is absolutely true. But that's not all that he does. He does more than that. He not only takes all of our sin upon himself and he brings it to nothing and he dies for our sin and it's nailed to the cross. But the gospel is greater than that. And I want you to make sure you see this, because if it's just Jesus wiped your slate clean, you put your faith in him. He takes your sin. He gives you a clean slate. Now go try your best. You're right back in the exact position. You're still insecure. You're still blowing it. You're still laying awake going, I don't have it all together, right? It's not just a clean slate. That's not all that he does. Look at what it says here in verse 22. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. He deals with all your sin. And then he gives you, by grace, through faith, the benefits of his perfect, sinless, glorious life. And you are united to him. You are in him now. And when God looks at you, he doesn't see your sin. He doesn't see all your mess. He sees Jesus, perfect, holy, and blameless. Gone. All of it. Perfect in every way. How we miss that the glory of what he's done for us. And I want you to really think about that because I know, I know so many of you, I know my own heart. I know we're struggling with insecurity and anxiety and the things that we blow it and we don't have it all together. And it's so easy to go back into thinking those things. And it's so easy to get caught back up in that. But really think about what he says in verse 22. I love the way the NIV says it. Right? We use the ESV because it's a more literal translation. There's nothing wrong with the NIV. But I love the way they say this in the NIV. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you wholly in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. The things that get on you and you feel, you look to Jesus and He says, I've taken all of it. Every bit of it. And you put your faith in Him and you are holy and blameless because you are wrapped in His righteousness and what He's done. I hope that you see the good news of the gospel. The good news that we celebrate. It's not just this future thing as glorious and wonderful as our future is, but it's for right now. It's for the things that you're dealing with today. It's for all the things that you're wrestling with. So the last part here, how do we live in light of that? Because we're still going to have those struggles. We're still in this body of flesh. We're still daily wrestling with these things as God's moving us from one degree of glory to another in him but we're still in the middle of it right now. So how do we live in light of that today? Look at chapter two one more time. Verse 12, he says, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the power of powerful working of God who raised him from the dead, right? And so yes, Bonnie, there it is. She just asked me before, can we say that we're raised too? Yes, you can. It says that right there. You're raised with him absolutely. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. And I want you to think about that for just a second. How do we live in light of that today? Notice there at the end that he says he's disarmed the rulers and authorities and he's put them to open shame. What's he talking about? I think we know from Ephesians chapter 6. Listen to what Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 6. He says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities and against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. And so please hear this. What does the voice of God sound like? When you put your faith in Jesus, right? You do what he's telling you here. You transfer your trust. You continue steadfastly in it. Stable, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you've heard. What does the voice of God sound like? That your record of debt has been canceled. That you are holy and blameless in Jesus. That God loves you with love that you cannot even begin to fathom. That is so full and so great and so powerful and so wonderful that he loves you in this way in Jesus. And when you wake up in insecurities and problems and all these things and you're not good enough and you don't have it together... That is not the voice of God. That is the rulers and the authorities that He has put to open shame. He's done it and He's finished it. And how do you live today? You turn and you look to Jesus. And you proclaim the truth of who you are in Christ. I am not perfect, but Jesus is. And He is mine. And I am His. And you trust Him each day in every way. You continue to hold fast without shifting, as He says. You continue to hold fast to Him in everything. That He is yours and that He has got you in the midst of it. Oh, that is my prayer that we as His people would be resting in the good news of who Jesus is. That you would know the reality of the resurrection today. That you are in him fully and totally and you can trust him in that. And it's all because of what Jesus has done. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for the glorious good news. We thank you that you've taken our sin and our shame and our guilt. That you've taken all of those things that bring us insecurities and heartache and struggles and all that's there. And that you have nailed them to the cross. We thank you that you have given us your perfect righteousness, that we are now clothed in you. I pray that this day that we leave here understanding the reality of who you are and what you've done for us and that it's all you. It's all you're doing. It's all who you are. Help us to see this, to live in light of it, to rest in you and all things. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.